So I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Simon Barbato. He's the founder of Mr. B and Friends, which has been going for 17 years and works for major global clients like Lego and Intercontinental Hotel Group. Welcome, Simon. Hey, James. Good to uh, see you and good to be back on the show again. Uh, it's uh, my second opportunity to talk to you and uh, really pleased you passed me back. Well, it's just, it's so great to have things going so well today, but you know how the show goes. We go back to a tough moment. When when are we going back to? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, we're going to take uh, take a trip uh, back to 2004 when I heard a BBC news broadcast uh, starting to discuss uh, this concept of SARS, which was a airborne respiratory disease, which was um, moving through Southeast Asia. And it was... Uh, it was that moment there which uh, slowly and surely uh, became the undoing of my first agency business. Wow. Another respiratory d- disease. We're going back to 2004. A lot of listeners won't, won't remember this far back, I don't think, but it's great to go back to it. T- yeah, t- 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 tell me about this moment. So you're, you're listening to Radio Station. What, what's, what happens for you? Yeah, so I mean, um, so I was running, I was running a business called The Field. We were based in Richmond, 10 people, about a million pounds in fee income uh, and our biggest market by far was the adventure travel uh, sector so we were working with a number of uh, tour operators who had you know adventure travel propositions in the asian market and uh, i was listening to i think five live or something like that and there was a news report uh, about this respiratory um, disease that was um, sweeping through southeast asia called sars and I genuinely didn't think anything of it. I didn't make the initial, I didn't join the dots initially. Um, but then over the course of the next two to three weeks, pretty much all of our clients started to um, reduce their spend quite significantly to the point where that particular part of the market was closed off for us. Wow. So before this happened, it sounded like you had like a good agency, like good team size, good clients, international and in the space of two, three weeks, one radio announcement changed everything. Yeah, well, I mean, it was um, it was uh, the tour operators started to close down the markets because obviously international travel was uh, banned into into that region, and as a result of that, their revenues dropped significantly. And then there was, of course, a knock on effect to all of their supply chain, and that's uh, we were sitting quite firmly in their supply chain. And as soon as that happens things outside of our control start to impact us internally. And uh, and with, with that, we were unable to continue to trade through it. So it was a, um, it was a, a process of around three to six months, which did, um, you know, uh, irreparable damage to my business. And how did, how did that feel at the time when you go from having this really successful business into... This, this three six months descent, like you're out of control on a on a on a on a downward slide, and there's pretty much very little that you can actually do to stop yourself sliding so quickly. And for any of your listeners who have professional services firms or creative firms, they'll all know that the biggest cost to that particular firm will be people. And so, you know, you have your your entire business is a, is a sort of expertise business or a time and materials business. So you're selling people's time and expertise and they're, they're your most expensive but most valuable asset. And when they're not utilized, 
the business becomes very, very quickly under pressure. And that's exactly what happened. And it was it was a it was a rapid decline, which was very, very difficult to arrest. And we tried to pivot and try to find new clients to replace those that had reduced or, or stopped their spending. But it, we weren't able to react quickly enough. And, and was it a sense of like, oh, there's a, you felt you sort of scoped what the problem was, and then it got worse. And so you kind of make an action and then sort of something else comes along to make it even worse. Well, I think the thing was the original um, notifications that we started to get from our clients were that this was happening and it would affect uh, their ability to continue trading with us or continue spending with us at the same level. Um, what actually happened was that they almost stopped spending completely. And as a result of that, the, the revenue tap for us was turned off. And when you don't have a massive amount of um, capital adequacy in the business, cash in the bank to keep going without the same levels of billing, before you know it, the founders, myself, um, are personally under a lot of financial pressure to either keep that the original levels of staff that you have or to keep pumping money into the business. And with, it sounds like with little visibility of, of, a, of a change in the market. Well, that was the that was the problem because nobody knew how long this um, this situation would would uh, sustain. I mean, it was actually only about six to eight months impacted. I mean, unlike COVID, which was pretty much two years, uh, this was six to eight months. And uh, but we didn't know. And each month we were burning through cash, and it was a, simply a case of how much cash did I want to pump into the business. And at some point, you have to you have to draw a line under it. So how, so how did you did you go about making that decision in terms of so your your, your cost base is exposed, your revenue is down through circumstances completely outside of your control. You know the only way to get your cost base back under control is to cut it, but that's primarily people, which then affects your ability to deliver and bounce back at the end of it. How do you start making that decision? Oh, it's. Um... Difficult, the first thing. So the, fir the first op option, of course, is, you know, in our industry, the roller coaster happens all the time in our industry. It's a very volatile um, uh, category that we operate in. But the, the first thing is you look at, okay, can we trade our way out of this? You know, can we replace the clients that we have lost? Can we, can we you know, rejuvenate existing other client accounts that uh, are not affected by this and try to sort of increase our, our revenue from there? Can we pitch for new accounts that would um, replace the lost revenue. Um, and, you know, the, the category is very competitive as well. And, it, you know, you, you should only really expect to win somewhere in the region of 30 to 45, 50% of everything that you go for. So you need to have a very, very large pipeline. We were quite a small business in the, you know, in those days, um, only 10 people. We were only a few years old. So we didn't have great visibility we weren't a famous agency, so we weren't getting you know, daily inquiries coming in for our services. So those that we did find, we were having to work very, very hard to get onto pitch lists. Uh, and we just simply didn't you know, win enough of them. So so the, the point is, the first thing is, can you trade out of it? No, we couldn't replace that revenue very quickly. The second thing is, how how what else can you do? Well, the only other thing is to do is to reduce discretionary spend or reduce staff through overhead cuts or, or staff cuts. But as you say, you end up cutting 
relatively even cutting two to three people out of a 10 person team will will um you know damage the ability to do the job because everyone's been selected to do um the role which they have um so at first we sort of uh, cut a, a, a few i think it was four that we we cut on the on the first and we you know had a uh, a sit down with the team that was remaining and said right let's concentrate on winning uh, what we can let's concentrate on the existing clients that we do have and um and let's see where that takes us uh so that was happening within the agency and then external to that obviously it was prudent of me to start thinking about the worst case scenario which was we didn't replace the revenue that we'd lost and the cuts that we had made uh were not deep enough to be sustainable. So I started to have side conversations with uh, a number of suitors who may wish to acquire a very well-established team with a, a client base that would probably bounce back at some stage. Um, so I started to have two or three conversations uh, external to what the discussions were in, in inside the agency. And at the same time, sounds like you were having to put additional funds in from your own pocket to, to sustain it, which... Again, it's probably unsustainable. Yeah, very. I mean, you know, um, to sort of support six or seven salaries, you, you know, with very little revenue coming in, it's you could quite easily burn through thirty to thirty-five thousand pounds a month. And uh, I was a relatively young guy with, you know, hadn't uh, had any success at that point. So, you know, my it would be a, a quite crippling uh, situation financially. Um, if I was having to put, you know, more than two to three months in. So mm. there was just a certain limit for how much I could actually sustain of that personally. And was that difficult for you? And that was the first business. You got success. You believed it was fundamentally a good business. It was an external shock. It must be tempting to throw everything you had into it to to keep it going. Yeah, but I suppose it's like a it's like a game of poker. You know, you don't know what what card is going to come out, and and because this was a the first time we'd ever had anything, I, I, I can't remember. I couldn't recall previously uh, a situation where a whole region was closed down through um, an airborne, you know, um, respiratory problem. Um, I we just couldn't we didn't know, and you know, it it ended up as I mentioned was being six to eight months in total. Um, six to eight, eight months of a burn rate of 30, 35,000 pounds, that's quickly getting close to, you know, 200 to 250,000 pounds. And that was just something that one person on their own just mm. couldn't risk. You know, I'd be underwriting the whole lot. Mm. Uh, and it's that sort of situation that you would end up bankrupting yourself. So it sounds like you're making some term decisions, having some external conversations, trying to mitigate the risk. You're scoping out how much you can risky put in without having a sort of fixed answer like, oh this will be six months this will be eight months it's just there's an unknown time frame it was unknown completely unknown at what point did you go okay this can't this can't go on i think it was probably um a couple of months in you know i mean it wasn't as if revenue had fallen complete to, to zero but it was certainly be uh, well below um our break-even point and I think it was about, um, I gave myself a deadline uh, and said, right, this will be the deadline. If we haven't um, we haven't replaced revenue to a, to a degree on, on sort of pitch wins, by this point, 
I would basically uh, draw a line under it. And that coincided with a number of discussions I was having with other agencies who were interested in acquiring or absorbing us. Um, and as a result of that, I gave myself a fixed deadline. I stick, stuck to that deadline. And as it happened, um, we didn't replace the revenue that we had lost to a satisfactory level. The team knew that th this was our, I suppose, our, you know, KPI. And it was at that point there which I enacted the discussions that we were having with other people. So, so you told in people internally what your your line in the sand was as well. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I've always believed in sort of open book management, really, mm -hmm. and 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 telling people how the business is doing, and made sure that everybody felt that secure that you know as far as possible salaries were being paid and things like that. But it was a it was a really tough tough time. It felt some just a bit out of control, really. Mm -hmm. um, and so to have options was the best thing that I could possibly put in put in place, really. It, feel, it feels unusual that as a first-time founder, you managed to have the discipline to, to put that line in the sand, to certainly to, to, to overcome sort of the instinctive reticence of, of sharing and looking like you weren't didn't have all the answers and actually tell the team. What what do you what do you think? helped you make those calls a very pragmatic mindset and uh, a bit of humility and sharing that this was a situation which was outside of our control we'd everybody within the company um before the onset so it was late 2003 that um stars first got sort of reported but it was early 2004 when it was actually a problem um and I think that it was uh, a situation where people understood that we had a we had a healthy business. We had a vibrant, healthy business with good clients, and as a result of you know that demonstration up to that point, people could see that this was something outside of our control. So, um, so I think that sort of openness, honesty, and humility uh, with the team helped a lot. But it was uh, it was still a very very difficult situation and. Yeah, just having options was the best thing for me. But having a deadline as well, where it was a, a make or break moment, really for the agency, that was uh, that was crucial. So, in terms of the sort of the the, the final point for you was there was um, was was selling to a, to a third party. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it selling because that would um, that would indicate that there was a premium paid for it. <laughs> it was a it was another um, a, a larger marketing services company that basically said we can we can pick you up and all your team and your clients uh and uh, move you into our building reduce your overhead significantly and 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 we could ring fence your team so you can continue trading uh and they structured you know everybody got taken on on a on a decent salary obviously this company that acquired us they didn't have to pay recruitment fees for a team that was well established they didn't you know they effectively bought you know, revenue that was already there just needed to be reactivated. But also they were they were very successful in their own rights and they needed a bit more resource. So our team took on some of their work as well. So it was a really good deal on their part. And they structured a small uh, upside for me to compensate some of the money that I pumped into the business. So over a, over a couple of years, that sort of paid back a little bit of a, a little bit of my mm. my investment. 
but it was a it was the best situation out of a potential disaster really mm. so if, if someone else was in that situation how, how did you find the time with so all the stuff was going on internally clearly a lot of res- time responding how did you manage to carve out this time to, to find these other options I've always networked a lot in our arena and um, I had a couple of people who were professional advisors in the industry. One was a, a PR specialist and I confided in him that we were in trouble and did he know anybody that might be interested? And he did. And that was interesting. Uh, and so there were there were three conversations that I was that that had been started that I was fielding and one of them fell away relatively quickly because they were just interested in in myself to go and work for them so a little bit like an aqua hire um that meant that my clients and my staff that weren't involved in in that deal and I wanted to ensure continuity and obviously felt felt responsible for the team and I felt that I was actually had put a false deadline in because I wanted to sort of stimulate something. But, you know, he let the deadline lapse. So we 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 pulled out of that one. And then the third was the best fit, really. So it uh, so we pressed ahead with that. It's really interesting. So this is a theme that's come up before in the podcast, this idea of the work you do before a crisis is what saves you in a crisis. There was another guest who their main investor pulled out sort of during their round, like their, their keto investor. But actually, because they'd done like a really rigorous job of during fundraising, they spoke to like 80 people, they could find their replacement, not easily, but certainly they had a lot of extra unnecessary work in inverted commas to go back to that really paid off in that crunch moment. I think one of the things with most founders that I've I've met is that they are incredibly resourceful with their contacts, their knowledge and their thinking and they go into crisis management mode. When things are going badly, they, they, they naturally go into crisis management mode and broaden their thinking. And, and you know, everything, everything becomes broadcast thinking. Um, and I think that that's what I did as well. I just, you know, I started to think, OK, if I internalize this problem because of my ego or my, you know, or my sense of reputation and things like that, I'm not going to be able to deal with this on mm. my own. So bringing other people into the conversation um, being discreet about the situation, but open and open-minded. Um, yeah, I, I felt that that was probably what moved us into a position where we could transition. And it was, um, it, as I said, it was the it was the best thing that could have happened in the moment. It averted a disaster. It kept continuity. Um, for clients, which I think is the most important thing you have to consider, but it, you know, it also gave people the opportunity to you know carry on their career uninterrupted. The interesting thing was the client started to bounce back after about three months of the transition period. So it was a case of you know, did I hold my nerve for that long? Burn through a lot of cash, expose myself um, personally, um, financially, um, or you know, take the support of somebody else. And that's what I did. I took the support of somebody else. And that seemed to be the best thing to do at that moment. So looking back at it with the benefit of hindsight and, and sort of the wisdom you have now, how do, how do you rate your response now? <laughs> that's a fantastic question. And no one's ever asked me that. How do I rate my response uh, out of 10? Um, I don't know. I think that um, given where I was, it was the, uh, it was a, 
good solid situation out of what could have been quite painful and expensive and demonstrated sort of my uh, commitment to them so i'd say that it was a it was a good response there there was very little time to do due diligence on the organization that was coming in for us that was acquiring us um and i would have said that i should have done a bit more due diligence there but given where i was at you know i would say it was it was a a, a solid 7 you know in terms of response <laughs> and I mean, now, now you're on a very successful agency. It's kind of you're at ten people then. You're now at almost fifty. What have you taken? Do you think from that that has led led to your success now? Uh, the biggest the biggest thing I would say is that um, diversification of your client portfolio is crucial. Okay, so um, having clients in different vertical sectors. Um, is really really important. So, for example, during the um, during COVID, um, we do have we do have clients in the travel and hospitality industry, and of course, they all just stop spending money immediately. Um, but we also have clients in technology and financial services, and and they didn't; they just carried on spending. So, diversification of your client portfolio is really uh, really important. Making sure that you don't have a gorilla account is also really important. A gorilla account would be. Um, any particular client that dominates 30% of your revenue, mm. um, you know, if you have that and they stop spending money, that's, that could be catastrophic. Um, ensuring that um, your overheads are lean as well. Um, and making sure that you, if you do have to cut within the team, that the team that's left can actually still su- support your clients with a really solid service proposition. I mean, in the creative services industry, I've been in this sector now for 30 years, and there's ups and downs, there's restructuring happening all the time in small, large and, and medium-sized agencies, because um, we are a service industry and we're, the, we're at the behest of the of the sectors in which our clients operate. So, so I think that uh, all of those things are really important. Um, I also um, try to ensure that we have decent capital adequacy in the business uh, so we can have a good cash balance that will enable us to keep trading when things get a little bit tight um but also you know trust your instincts as well and and make sure that you don't view everything through rose tinted glasses sometimes uh the market factors or the pressures that are coming in from from your customers they should be listened to and you should you should use your instincts to act on them Mm. It sounds like there's, there's a danger where you grow a good business, you, you do good work, and feel like you can get through anything, but sometimes the anything is just so significant, you can't. Exactly. Um, you always need a plan B and a plan C. And in fact, um, what's really interesting at Mr. B and Friends, our managing partner, the first job that I asked her to do when she joined the business last year was to catastrophize our business plan mm. and write a plan B and a plan C. So we had it uh, signed off by the board and in the drawer ready to enact if, if you know, the market turned. So it's having the foresight that, um, you know, the, the the roller coaster goes goes down as well as up, mm. you know, and, and just understanding that. So particularly when things are going well, sometimes your plan A is going so well, it must feel like there's there's no time, time or need for plan B or plan C. 
Yeah, but I mean, if you've been in the in the business as long as I have, you know that there is always going to be a requirement for Plan B or Plan C. It's it's a very um, volatile category. It's a very volatile sector. You can't rest on your laurels. The other thing is as well, you always need to have your foot hard down on new business. Um, always speaking and networking, and you know, trying to attract opportunities. Um, you know, with, with new clients. Because if you're not doing that, the impact is that you can go backwards very, very quickly. So it's a really important point to to remember. Um, I think somebody once said you should be selling when you can't take any more work on. That adage has never been truer. Having re-looked back at this today, is there anything that's come up for you re-examining this moment? No, I think, I think the one thing that um, what happened in 2003, 2004... It created a set of markers that I, I'm constantly looking for. My old business partner used to say I used to have a worry pool. And that, that worry pool was, was because I'd been through a situation where I'd lost an agency. Mm. And that's emotionally, that was really tough to do that, to sort of be brave enough to get, step out and do it in the first place, then to grow it beyond yourself and into a small business, and then to into 10 people in a million pounds turnover serving you know great client brands and then to lose it uh, through nothing that you have done on your own that was really really tough and i suspect that there are there were hundreds and thousands of people who who went through the same with covid where even the bounce back loans and the furlough scheme were just not enough to sustain their own creation so I know what it feels like to go through that emotional loss. So that's what my worry pool was always signified by. Was the It was the moments that led to the demise of my first business. And those are the things where I, I, I make sure that my gut uh, instinct uh, acts upon them if I see them happening again. Well, Simon, that's been really enlightening. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing that that moment it's been like a therapy session james <laughs> I'm, I'm reliving my past and regressing <laughs> i'll send you the bill awesome well so really great to catch up and uh we'll speak soon as you heard today coaching opens up a whole range of insights and areas to explore if you have a potential moment to revisit on the podcast or just want to learn more about coaching Book in for a 30-minute chat with me at peer-effect.com.